everyone, and welcome to a Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart. My name is Amanda Aliberti, and I am an adoption social worker at Adoptions from the Heart. We are really excited to continue these awesome podcasts that we've been doing, and today we welcome Asia and Mathoni. So welcome, ladies. Hey. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Do you guys want to start off with just giving a brief overview of who you are, where you're located, and when you placed your child for adoption? Asia, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so my name is Asia. I am in Delaware. I placed my son Sullivan for adoption August, well, technically August 25th, 2018. So he just turned two. <laughs> and I've, so I've been with Adoptions from the Heart technically since I've been pregnant, so a little over two years now. Great. And can you just briefly describe the type of open adoption you have? Uh, the type? Okay, well, of course, it's open adoption. Right now, we have uh, two, well, we're supposed to have two visits a year, but um, we are, I guess we're like kind of slow moving because everything was through the adoption, and then like we went to emailing back and forth, but everything was still kind of, you know, a little through adoption, a little through email. And then we exchanged numbers a few months later and now everything is texting. And then just recently we got social media. So everything's kind of slow moving. We're just trying to make sure that we're comfortable before moving to the next step of our, our, our journey, I guess. Wonderful. <laughs> we are very, very close. We talk a lot now. Great. Great. And Mathani, how about for you? So I'm Mathani. I'm in Texas and I placed my daughter um, in November of 2016. So she just turned four last week, actually. Um, and we have an open adoption. We um, have visits twice a year, typically, um, except this year because the Rona. And um, um, we text pretty often, we um, video chat, um, email, um, yeah, so that's kind of what our um, post-placement looks like. Tell us yeah. about that project. Yeah, yeah. so um, I started a podcast this spring with um, a fellow birth mom friend of mine, Emma, and um, we were approached by Gladney, actually, um, about starting a podcast where we bring on birth mother guests and just share stories essentially um and just you know educate people about you know what birth mothers are and like that we're normal um and so it's been really awesome to get to know so many different women and with different stories but we all share this bond of um of loss um and um, I just, I'm super excited to see where it goes um, as we keep going on. But um, if y'all ever want to listen, it's Birth Mothers Amplified. We're on all platforms. Um, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Birth Mothers Amplified. That's awesome. Well, we definitely are going to check that out. Asia, spread the word to the other ladies. I think that's yes. an amazing resource for people to have. And the fact that you guys do it on your own is also kind of cool. I think there's something mm -hmm. to be said about birth parents chatting on on their own so I love that did either of you feel any like sort of pressure whether it was 
um, outright from friends, family, if anyone knew, I'm not sure if they did know or not, or did you feel any sort of pressure just as a woman in like today's society of how you felt like you should have handled that pregnancy? Um, yes and no. Okay, so my mom, I'm really close with my mom and my grandmother. And though, of course, naturally, your parents are going to be a little disappointed. Like, you know, you're supposed to be married with, you know, before you have children and that type. So they were disappointed, especially since I already have a daughter I'm parenting at home. And they were just like, why are you having another kid? So, but I had already thought in my head, like, you know, this is the process I'm going to go. This is the journey. I'm not going to do um, abortion. Not that I'm shaming that, but I'm not going to go that path. So though they were disappointed, they were like, well, what are you going to do? Because I had already had a plan. It wasn't so much pressuring from them. It was just like, well, we want to be there with that step. Like we want to know everything that you're doing. And then as far as society, I think I put more pressure on me um, as a woman than actual outside society because I didn't really tell anybody and I didn't really look too much into it. But I felt that I let myself down and I felt that, like, granted, I couldn't really <laughs> do too much because it, it was an abusive relationship, so I couldn't really help it too much. But I still felt like, you know, something I could have done somewhere to to not be in the situation I was. And of course, I know that's not true, but that's how I felt at that time. So it's kind of yes and no, not not um, pressure like purposeful, but it's just you know that I put myself. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sure if I had a ton of pressure. Um, I know I had a lot of shame. Um, that I felt coming from the different people in my life. Um, because again, like Asia was saying, I wasn't married. No, I didn't do things the right way, quote unquote, um, which that's crap to me. But, uh, and so I definitely, for me, abortion was never an option. Um, and I also knew that parenting was an option. Um, cause I just, where I was in my life at that time, I just was not in a stable place where I felt like I could provide for a child. And so I did know about adoption. Um, and so for me, it was, I guess, I knew enough to where I wanted to at least explore and see what that could look like if I did make a decision to place, um, because I'd never met any like birth parents, families, but I'd never seen the other side. And so that, that made me a little bit nervous, but I knew enough to see like, okay, this might could be an option for me. Mm -hmm. Do either of you feel, um, sometimes people say that culture or heritage, um, how you're raised, what your roots are, sometimes that can play against you in terms of like decision-making when you are faced with an unplanned pregnancy. Was that true for either of you? Or what are your, what is your response to that rather? Um, it, it didn't really play too much of a part for me, um, I won't say uh, yes or no. <laughs> I know I'm gonna have a lot of yes and no's. Um, my family does have a history of teenage pregnancies, and granted, I never was a teenage mom, but being a young and unmarried mom, they kind of were just like, you know, you're supposed to do better than us. So, 
that kind of played a part. However, again, I do have um, a child that I'm parenting at home and I did take a different route than they had. And they say a better route. I'm, I'm still like, maybe <laughs> they say a better route. So um, I felt that I did do a little better, <laughs> even though it wasn't, you know, the best decision, but I feel that me placing was the best decision that nobody in my family ever had thought of, let alone actually thought it was an option before. So that made a huge difference in, in our family life. Okay. For you? That's a really good question. I think, honestly, my upbringing was one of the reasons I chose to place. Um, I had this I didn't have the best upbringing and um, history was essentially going to repeat itself if I chose to parent. And so for me, I wanted her to, my daughter to not have to walk the same path I did. Um, and so I guess in a way, yeah, I guess my, my family history did play a part um, with my decision. <clears throat> okay. okay. Um, can I ask each of you, did, that, did I answer the question? You did. You did. Can I ask, because I never like to assume, each of you identify what race that you identify with and then what race of the adopted parents you ended up placing with? I'm African-American and the adoptive family is Caucasian. Like, yeah. Okay. For you, Mathani? Um, so I'm Black or Af I'm actually full blood Kenyan. I was born in Kenya. Um, and then, um, my daughter is, uh, biracial. And so her, uh, birth father, um, is half Latino and half white, I guess. Yeah. She's interracial, I guess. Um, and her parents are white. Okay. Can the two of you touch a little bit on that concept of transracial adoption? Um, because a lot of people, especially in today's social climate with the Black Lives Matter movement and just the idea of raising a child um, of color in today's world can be challenging. Um, and making sure that child has the right resources is a big topic of conversation. So I'm curious how the both of you feel about that, especially since you both placed your ch children with, with uh, Asian adopted parents? That's been a, a topic a couple times. Um, I definitely, when I placed my son, my son is completely African-American. When I placed him, I didn't think twice about race. And for some reason, I feel like I should have, but I, I never did. And it was more so like, when I was looking through profiles, I was just like, you know, what vibe am I getting? And when I actually saw the video, I was just like, that's exactly what I was feeling for my picture, which is weird. Talking to them, you know, exactly how they were with each other, because it's a married couple, um, how they were with each other, the um, views and values that they had and wanted to pass down to their child was exactly what I wanted to pass down to my, so it just kind of did. And then like later on, I was like, huh, we're different races. <laughs> and it was, it was weird. And I was like, you can see it, but I didn't really think twice about it. And of course, when all of this started happening, I'm just like, I wasn't as scared for myself 
or even my son as I was for them because people are so mean people can can be so evil and I'm like if they're just literally trying to live their lives they're just literally trying to raise their child and I know that somebody is going to call them names or call him names or something like that and I'm just like I'm so scared of you know the how they're how what will happen or anybody just just showing those evil sides of themselves and just like I would be for anybody but I've never necessarily been fearful for a different race to be honest I I never have been and this is the first time I actually had those feelings and I wasn't exactly sure how to express that to them so I was kind of surprised when the birth mom, I'm not sure if I should say her name, but the birth mom, I mean, the um, adoptive mom, she reached out to me and she was just like, uh, first of all, she talked about the election <laughs> and then she talked about, you know, the Black Lives Matter and she was fearful for me and she was just like, well, you know, we love your son no matter what and we're just making sure that he is safe, that we're doing everything, that he knows that um, his skin color is beautiful, but it's not the only thing about it. Like, Everything that she said just in text message form was like, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel like most parents should treat their kid, like whatever color you are. And, and that's exactly what she was saying to me. She was like, he's, he's beautiful. He's our son, period. We love him. And I was just like, well, why couldn't I message you that? <laughs> so I just like it and that feedback. I'm hoping I answered your question. <laughs> It sounds like the adoptive mom kind of reassured you. You were starting to feel some sort of way, especially with everything going on. And then she reached out to you, which definitely shows I mean, her dedication as a mother, for sure. But that maybe helped alleviate some of the fears you were having. Definitely did. Definitely did. Um, of course, I'm always going to be fearful of outside people. That's never going to change. I will be fearful for anything. But just knowing that they would genuinely lay their lives down for him was just like, that's all I could ever want in any parent to do for their child, whether it's by adoption or by birth. Uh, that's what any parent should do. So I'm really reassured by that. So um, similar to Asia, I when I was looking through profiles, race was never something that I really considered. Um, I didn't care what they looked like you know as long as they were gonna love my baby um and so um I so to me like I just judge them off of their character right um I do remember wanting to ask about diversity in their community or in, the, or in their family or just in their circles um but at the time my support system was not the best. Um, and they deterred me from even asking about that. They said that that didn't matter. Like diversity didn't matter. Um, as long as they quote, love Jesus. Um, and so <laughs> looking back, obviously that was horrible advice. Um, and I am thankful because even though that's not a conversation that I had with them, um, prior to placing my daughter with them, um, they, they do um, have shown me that they have diversity in their community, in their church. They, um, you know, the shows she watches, the toys she plays with, the books she reads, you know, they really 
do everything that they can to um, immerse her in her culture. Um, and that I'm super thankful for that. Um, as far as like this year and just everything that's been going on, um, we haven't had a super direct conversation about it. Um, but I'm okay with that. I feel like I've seen enough from them at this point to where like I haven't really needed to have any like direct conversation about the current events. So I can understand that. What would either of you say to, um, so say I had a client, I had an African-American birth mother who came to me and she placed her child with a white family. Mm -hmm. She was having serious concerns, just a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, especially in today's social climate. What would be your advice to her or how to help reassure her? Um, my first thing is um, don't force any decision at all. Um, work, if you see somebody, if you see a prospective family, don't just be like, well, you want to travel? I want my kids to travel here. Like, actually feel them. And if you don't have that same vibe, if you, they're not exactly what you will want for your child, then don't force that. Um, even for adoption, if you're unsure, take time to think about it and cause it's not something that you could just reverse and, you know, it never happened. Unfortunately, time machines don't, don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Think about it, process, talk to yourself. I talk to myself a lot. I know I look like a crazy person all the time, <laughs> like actually talk and think it through if you have a support system like get kind of get feedback um I know like Matoni would say she didn't really have that support system so I'm sure you were probably talking to yourself too <laughs> trying to like reassure or think about it it's like I had I have uh technically Amanda and I had my sister to kind of bounce ideas back and forth and I was just like because there's some things that you might think of or that somebody else might think of that you might not so it's good to talk to somebody. I would say like take your time as much time as you can take before you just make the decision. I actually had a conversation with a a birth mom friend of mine who's um, black as well, and um, when all of this started happening, happening, and she was just distraught and just. Um, just terrified she was like I don't know if my daughter's gonna be okay and her um her daughter's parents are also um white and you know it's hard because we we've made this decision right like we've it's out of our hands once we sign those papers that's it like (laughs) we did it we made this decision right um it's all all we can do is hope that everything we saw leading up to signing those papers is correct that you know that they are the people that they say that they are um and so if I could go back I would and I love my daughter's parents obviously um I would ask more questions more detailed questions um I think that's something I can definitely say to like any prospective parent uh expectant moms sorry is any and everything you can think of ask it um, and then once you're into the adoption and you've placed and you're in this post 
post-placement um, period. Um, if you have any other questions, if you're nervous about bringing something up, then go to whatever agency. Like I, I know I can go to Gladney anytime and talk to my caseworker and say, hey, I'm, I want to have this conversation, but it's a little awkward. Would you be able to like mediate, you know? Um, because if there's open openness and, and transparency and communication, that's what's going to be the best um, for everyone, right? And so, um, yeah. You bring out a good point because in my experience of working with expecting moms, would you guys say that there's some level of like, I don't know if shyness is the right word, but there's this level of like, you don't want to ask too many questions as, as an expecting mom, because I, I hear oftentimes like, oh, I'm just so grateful that they're here and they're wanting to take my child and all these things. And I'm kind of like, well, that's great, but I want to also make sure you're checking off in your head all the things you want to know about this family. And I do sense that there's just yes. a level of like, I don't want to ask too much because I don't want to come across some type of way to them. Would you guys agree? Do you have any thoughts or reactions to that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I'm, I'm normally shy. Well, I have my shy moments. But if I, especially if I'm talking to somebody new, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be too personal, which doesn't make sense <laughs> in this situation at all it does not make sense right. it's supposed to be personal well I'm just like if I ask this are they going to like shy away from me are they going to be uncomfortable are they going to be like you know what forget it I don't even want it anymore like I just I just don't want to be that person and I don't want to say something and they're just like what are you talking about so <laughs> I, I know it's very easy to shy away from certain questions it's so easy. I still do it now. And I'm like, it's been two years yeah. later. At this point, there's literally no such thing as TMI. <laughs> like, so, but, oh yeah. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Asia. Go ahead. Oh no, you're not good. Oh, you're done? Okay. Well, I think part of the shyness, well, I guess before, before the decision is made to place, I think the shyness comes from we want them to like us. Um, one thing I always um, say to hopeful adoptive parents when I whenever I speak on panels is, as birth mothers, we we know you're going to obviously love and accept our child, but are you also going to love and accept us, right? And so we feel, and I'm not speaking for birth mothers, I'll just speak for myself. I know I remember feeling like I have to say the right thing. I have to they have to like me, you know? And so, um, and I think a lot of birth mothers or a lot of expected mothers can probably resonate with that. And then after placement, after we've, you know, you know, given our child to these people, um, the power is now in their hands, right? So we no longer have the power. And so um, I think that's where then the hesitancy, the shyness, the fear or whatever it is comes from is we we don't have the power in in this relationship and until the adoptee is of age where they can hopefully be allowed to lead the the, the open adoption the parents have the say right and so um i know i'm super thankful that 
with my daughter's parents, we do have very open um, communication and transparency with each other to where um, for the most part, I can go to them with anything. Um, I still get nervous sometimes, but for the most part, I, f- I feel like I can. And so, but I know not every story is like that. And so I don't know if it's something that during the training process for hopeful adoptive parents, whether that's just something agencies need to say like, hey, y'all need to chill, y'all need to be more open to your birth moms, you know, I don't know. And then also on the flip side with the expected moms, I think um, expected moms need to know that they can advocate for themselves. And then also as, as you enter into being a birth mom, you should also be able to advocate for yourself as well um, and not be so fearful because then that's, that's not healthy because then decisions are made out of fear and not in a good place. And so. Absolutely. I'm so happy you brought that up. This idea of the shifting of power from the Mm -hmm. birth parent to the adoptive parent, because when that Mm -hmm. shift happens, I think there is this, this sense of loss that a birth parent experiences Mm -hmm. and, and may start to feel like they don't have control anymore to be able to make decisions or ask the right questions. And I think you also bring out a good point of making sure the agency, the caseworker, who's ever involved is advocating for you and making sure that even in those moments where maybe you're fearful of asking certain things, they're stepping in and asking those things for you to kind of help guide you. Because, I mean, this is one of the most difficult decisions and most powerful decisions of your life, right? And we want to make sure that you're fully, uh, as fully as you can be confident, right? You're never a hundred but it's really important that that happens. So I'm happy that you brought that up because people don't realize that shift in power causes a lot of changes mm-hmm. amongst everybody. Yes. Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something, Asia? No, I was just agreeing. Just disagreeing. <laughs> um, you talked about support, Mathani. Um, I'm curious mm-hmm. what type of support you each kind of started to mention it, but what was most helpful for each of you? Uh, before, during, and after placement of your child? So when I was pregnant, during my pregnancy, um, my support system was um, my daughter's birth father's family. And um, during the process, they appeared to be a support system. Looking back, they, I saw... There was just a lot of just craziness going on. <laughs> um, and so, but you know, when you're in it, you don't really see it. Um, and then post placement, um, I have a really good friend group. Um, a little bit background on myself. I um, kind of, I guess, severed connection with my biological family just because of my, my mental health. Just things were not good. I just needed to say I'm done. (laughs) Um, and so I've kind of had to build my own family within my, just my friend group, essentially. Um, and now I I just got married last week, so now I'm building a family. Um, thank you. Yes. Um, so just over the, you know, the last four years, um, I found really good support, um, within just my friend group. And then also um, social media has connected me with so many different like um, birth moms and different just support pages and 
Um, so that's been really beneficial for me personally. Yeah. And therapy. Therapy has been everything. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Asia? I need to go to therapy. <laughs> Girl, get in there. Get in there. <laughs> oh, I already know. <laughs> um, goodness. So my biggest support was my sister. Because she literally plays but two years before I did with the exact same agency, Amanda was her worker as well. So everything wow. was just, oh, you're familiar. Let's talk. <laughs> and um, so when I found out, that was the first person I called, like, hey, um, I have a situation here and uh, you might understand. So uh, <laughs> kind of need your help here. <laughs> and yeah, she... <laughs> Now we laugh about it, but at the time, like, I heavily leaned on her. And I was just like, I need to know what you did, what time you did it, how you did it, you know, how many steps did it take you to get from here to your car? Because I need to take them exact steps. Like, it was bad. It was really bad. But, like, her biggest thing was just like, it's you. You're not me. <laughs> so, you know, do how you like how you do how you do the code um that was my biggest support system and as soon as I um decided to actually go to the support group with Amanda and the other other ladies there then now I go every month and that I guess that's been my therapy that's something I genuinely look forward to every month I have nothing else in the entire month that's what I look forward to so that definitely helps me through that definitely helps me uh, at least before when I didn't want to think about it, that it will help me think, but in a positive way. So there, um, I keep saying therapy now, but support group with that. Um, I didn't really reach out or do anything too much social media wise. Uh, I've never been huge on social media in general. And my family, now they support, but they're, they're too goofy. So we don't really talk about it, um, anything too much, but I definitely heavily lean on my sister, Amanda, and, and the support group from there for before and, and after. <laughs> yeah, Asia was one of the first um, clients that I really had worked with that I realized how important it was when a woman is pregnant to invite them to those support groups because oftentimes uh, support groups are for women who have already placed, right? So they come together, they share their story, share their experience. But I think there's something to be said about women facing unplanned pregnancies and coming into this group so they can really educate themselves on what is this going to look like. And we've welcomed women in that have chosen adoption, and we've welcomed women in that have ultimately chosen to parent. And I think that either choice is great. And I'm happy that women have the opportunity to really hear firsthand from other people what it's like, because we can only do so much as, as an agency, as social workers. Um, but I think that when you can lean on one another for support, there's something to be said about that. So I'm happy that both of you have continued down that road. And Mathoni, I know with social media now, it's just booming um, with, with birth parents. <laughs> Story. I mean, it's it's unreal. I think it's opening up major doors in the adoption community. You guys are phenomenal, which is why we're continuing to do these podcasts. So that's pretty neat. Um, speaking on that, how do you feel like birth parents are perceived in today's society? 
Oh, um, I still yeah, I mean, feel, yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I still feel um, with some people it's still taboo, um, especially like older generations where adoption just wasn't a thing or if, you know, of course, like when you're my age, but um, people who ha- may have had their children in, in the 80s or 90s, adoption was a thing, but it was always closed. Um, like, like I said, when I told my mom, she was just like, what's open adoption? Like, how, how's that work? So it, for some people, I think it's still taboo. For, for a lot of people now, I think, especially you're seeing flyers somehow. I'm, I'm just like, I never saw these a year ago. I don't know where these came from. But now all of a sudden, I see different things. I'm just like, people are, are learning. And I'm like, people are actually starting to hear and people are starting to ask questions as opposed to just, oh, that's a bad idea or that's this or that's that or I think this and just waving it off. People are starting to actually ask like, well, what is it? And that's fine. And as far as I can see, like just having a blank slate or being completely oblivious to the whole thing is perfect because I'm just like, now I can actually tell you as opposed to you having this preconceived notion of what it is and you know I have to fix that and then tell you and whatever it's like I I like how I, I do like how social media is booming because of course word in the grapevine is now all the way over here <laughs> so it's like I, I do I do like the word of mouth. I do like seeing things on um, social media. I do like seeing things now on TV. And I'm just like, people are actually starting to become a little more educated, slowly but surely. And, and that's lovely to see. That's beautiful to see. And I'm like, now, 20 years from now, it's just, it's not going to be so taboo. It's not going to be such a negative stigma to it. And that's what I'm hoping to say. Great. Yeah, I think um, we've come a long way and there's still a long way to go um, in the adoption community. Um, But as far as like just birth mother stigma, um, I think people are still, I mean, even to this day, and I'm pretty open about my story. I, on social media with anyone who I meet, um, but I think people, it's still confusing to someone that, oh, you you got to pick her parents. Well, didn't you want her? Well, yes. of course I did. Like, <laughs> I love her so much. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I literally had someone one time be like, well, didn't you want her? No, I didn't. <laughs> um, and so I think there's still a little bit of stigma hanging on um, about birth moms, but I think, like Asia was saying, education is key. Um, I think the more we share stories, the more we normalize it, um, the the better it'll become. You know, things will get better. Um, So, yeah. What would each of you say is the hardest part to being a birth mom? Just missing him. Uh, is having those milestones happening and I'm not exactly there like I know of them and I get told but it's, it's not the same so I 
those are like hurdles I have to cross every single time. And the only, luckily I'm able to cross those hurdles just knowing that I did make the absolute best decision for him and myself and my daughter. <laughs> so it's like, I, I can cross those hurdles, but just knowing that like he's, he's there, but not there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that, you know, I could be doing this. I could be doing that. I could show him this or I'm out doing this right now. And, you know, if he was here, he would love it. But it's not like that. That's, you know, just the hardest part for me. But then I go look at these pictures. I was like, he's doing 500 things I've never done. And I'm an adult and he's two. <laughs> so it, it's, yeah, that's that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. You know, like Asia said, I think just missing, not just even like the big milestones, but even just the day-to-day, you know, um, just not being able to be fully a part, you know, of her life and their life. Um, And then also, I think for me too, um, it's hard when I feel like no one else acknowledges um so like for example I got married last week on my daughter's birthday um and everyone wished me oh happy wedding day but hardly anyone was like oh and happy birthday you know I'm sure today might be a little bit hard and so like I can't really fault anyone because she's not fully in my life so it's not someone that they see all the time that they can like talk about but it does suck sometimes that like it feels like she's not important to people as much as she is to me does that make sense and so like um does that make sense okay Mm -hmm. I'm so curious oh I probably understand why but what why did you choose that why did you choose her birthday Honestly, it's the, the weekend that worked. I <laughs> didn't want to get married because <laughs> um, we flew to Florida. Um, and so it was like the weekend that flights were good and it just worked out all around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, because that wasn't my first choice because I didn't know what that would mean for years to come, whether it would be like this weird, and I'm sure it will be like kind of like a, a weird day um bittersweet um but yeah I mean it was it is what it is at this point so (laughs) yeah I was just curious (laughs) um what would each of you yeah what, what would each of you say if you had the opportunity to voice something that you learned from your experience that you feel people still don't get Something people are just not really understanding, unaware of, not listening. What what would you want to tell somebody that you feel like you've learned from your experience as a birth mother? It was not an easy decision. (laughs) It was not easy. We didn't just say, here, I don't want him. Here, I don't want her. We never say that. And just we we all have cried. (laughs) Or at least most of us have cried. 
it was not an easy choice. We all love our kids. And it was a choice because of necessity, not because of just, you know, just throwing them away. Like, I want people to really understand that, that it is a choice out of love, out of genuine love. Because if we had kept, a lot of us, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself and I'm going to speak, but if if I had kept my son, it would be purely selfish. And I can say that. It would have been purely selfish in that situation. So me placing it was genuinely the best, the best possible decision. So it, it was not easy. And I still struggle with it. So I, I want people to understand truly. <laughs> yeah. I, um, when I first placed and like, started, you know, the journey as a birth mother, I used to say, um, well, I just wanted her to have a better life. You know, I wanted better for her. Um, I've come to realize that um, there's a certain narrative about birth moms that we are not capable. And I think we're fully capable for the most part. Um, I think I could have gotten three jobs, figured out a babysitter, made it work, right? Asia could have done the same thing, made figured it out, made it work. Um, but I wanted her to have something different than what I could give her, right? I wanted her life to look a little different than it would if I'd chosen to parent her. Um, and I think people have a hard, I think people still have a hard time understanding how we can make a big decision like that and be okay with it, but also be sad and also have hard days you know it's like well you did it so why are you sad you know get over it and it's like no like (laughs) our hearts literally got ripped out of our chests you know like the first time I laid my eyes on her I was like shit how am I gonna do this you know how the heck am I supposed to do this um and so it's that duality of knowing we made the best decision with what we had, but also the sucks. Um, and it's okay to have both. And the reality is it is both, you know, and so. It's powerful. It sounds, Mathoni, um, like you had a pretty great experience with, with gladdening. I think you said you placed mm-hmm. with um, Yes. Mike, I've actually never asked this question before, Asia. Yeah. Um, but, what do you feel like adoption professionals can learn? Like, what do you feel like we can do a better job of um, for future expecting and birth parents? What can we do within the adoption community as professionals, social workers, employees at agencies? Any, any thoughts on what we can be doing a better job of? There's for improvement. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I don't know, Amanda. You were amazing, to be honest. <laughs> you were absolutely amazing. I, I don't know. I got to think about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think, um, I mean, I had a great experience personally with Gladney, um, but I do know other women who haven't specifically. Um, um, I will speak to specifically with like transracial adoptions. I think agencies need to do better with educating these hopeful adoptive parents. Um, I've said these in panels to, you know, these hopeful adoptive parents that 
you need to start doing the work now. Not once the child is in your home, like, okay, now I have to scramble to be, you know, diverse or whatever. Um, You need to start the work now. You need to have those racial mirrors in your life now. You need to be preparing because you can't say that you're ready to bring in a child of color if you're not. And I think agencies can push harder and train better um, to ensure that they are, I mean, no one's ever hundred percent ready, but that they are the best ready that they can be once that child is placed in their home, because the person that suffers is the child. And I have just um, heard so many adult transition adoptees that like, you know, they had a good childhood, right? You know, they, um, they love the families that they grew up in, but they wish they had more. They wish it looked different. Um, and that breaks my heart. Like that's sucks to hear that. And that's, that's the, the reality. Um, so I think in that aspect, agencies can be doing better for sure. Totally. Yeah, we, we um, Asia was actually a big part of it. Um, a few months ago, we started uh, a Black Voices Within Adoption segment um, mm-hmm. where we particularly were targeting Black Voices Within Adoption to kind of allow their voice to be heard. And I, I think that it's an ever-going go- ever process um, and we need to do better. And I, I agree with you and I appreciate you being um, respectfully honest about that because I think people, especially white folks, are trying to do their... Um, due diligence, but we need to do more. And especially uh, waiting families need to do more. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, any, any other thoughts from you, Asia, of ways that adoption professional can improve? Um, I think the only thing that I would have wanted was because I was nervous and I know a lot of people were probably even more nervous than me if um, like when a, a birth parent and an adoptive parent, when they meet, I think like the social worker should have like questions of their own as well. Cause it's very easy for like, you could go in super prepared and like, I'm gonna ask this, 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 and this. And as soon as they're blank. And I think a, a lot of girls probably were just like, as soon as they leave, they're like, dang, I forgot to ask about this. Or dang, I, you know, I could have said this. I could have even responded with this. So I think a social worker could kind of get the ball rolling with that one and have almost of questions that way. Like I said before, like um, somebody else could think of something that you didn't think of. Mm-hmm. So, like if um, you may have like a, a Black birth parent and a white adoptive family and the Black birth parent may not even think about diversity. But that is a thing. That is something that needs to be asked. That is something that needs to be looked at. Because even the adoptive family, they could be completely fine to be like, okay, and but maybe their family is a little prejudiced with like something that would get minds thinking. So I think that would would help. I totally agree, and I again, I appreciate you uh, you voicing that. I definitely think that's something that can can be worked on for sure. Well, ladies, we're, we're nearing an end here, but I feel like we hit on so many powerful topics. Um, I always say to people, 
the best form of education is hearing from people who have been through it. And I feel like every time I do things like this, where we are spreading more awareness, it just makes me so happy because I, like you said before, Mathoni, I think adoption has come so far, but we still have so much more to do. Um, and the fact that birth parents such as yourselves are courageous enough to come on camera and share your stories with the whole world is what's going to make it that much better. Um, so we are so appreciative. Um, we're, we're just so happy that you guys are so motivated to advocate for adoption, for expecting and birth parents. Continue the work that you're doing because it's really making a difference. And yeah. we're just happy to have provided this platform for you guys to share your story. So thank you for being open and honest. I don't think any of us have all the answers. We're just trying to do the best we can every day, right? <laughs> Well, it was wonderful mm -hmm. seeing you both. Absolutely. Continue to be safe. Um, it's great to see you guys smiling and hopefully we'll all connect again soon. Yes, thank you so much for having awesome. us. Awesome.